and welcome to Geek Sweat. It's the film and filmmakers podcast for film enthusiasts around the world. We are interested in talking about cult TV, hot topics, reviews, trailers, and even inspiration interviews from IMDb listed filmmakers. If you didn't know already, we're broadcasting this episode on at least 21 different platforms. You can find us also on Radio Public, Luminary, Blueberry, and something called the podcast app we are now recording live and direct from the rebel bank in walthamstow east london hello welcome to geek sweat um i'm stephen and we're going to do another cult tv about doctor who this time we're on the 11th doctor played by matt smith um joining me today to talk about this is uh dominic hey dominic hey how you doing i'm all right i discovered tiktok this week you know what TikTok is? I do. I'm so down with the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's this music thing, isn't it? Yeah. And all these kids are discovering old songs. Yeah, it's, it's all about editing too, isn't it? And like kind of doing little kind of tricks, making these two-minute videos. and Like little memes and yeah, yeah. stuff. Odd yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, and also joining me is uh, NKH. Thanks for having me, Cody. That's all right. How have you been? I've been very well. Good. <laughs> no, sorry, I don't know why I put on that voice. I just thought it was called for because I'm in the, the captain's chair. Kirk has, has um, been beamed down to some foreign planet with like all green aliens and he's just having a lot of fun down there. And I've it, taken up the... It, it's a it's a bit of a myth, you know, that Kirk had sex with all with aliens all through Star Trek. It actually happens very rarely. That we saw. The, the, the few times that he does do it. That must have upset him. Like, I sleep with two aliens <laughs> and he just never let it go. <laughs> so so what, you think his Lafario persona was a bit over-egged? Yeah, it is a little bit, yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be like a contravention of his ethical code or something? Yeah, well, you'd think so. I mean, I'm not a big Trekker. Is it Trek or Trekkie? Trekkie, yeah. Is it Trekkie? I thought Trekkie. it's I think Trekker, like Trekkers. isn't it? No, I thought it's Trekkie. I thought the preferred term was Trekker, but, you know. I thought it was Trekkie. I, I, we're just arguing. <laughs> Let me just check. Okay. Um, but hey, this is a Doctor Who show, yeah, so, you know, fuck yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, fuck yeah. Star Trek. Never Star mind. Trek, go what away. are talking about? Um, Sorry. So, we start, so, the 11th Doctor era, it's really changed on all fronts because former showrunner Russell Davis has left the building and he's left um, the building to the running of Mr. Stephen Moffat. Um, Stephen Moffat is quite well known. He's he's first came to the attention of the British public with his children's drama Press Gang, which was brilliant. And um, I gave, gave the world Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher, of course, and Julia Sawalo as well. Mm-hmm. He was the star. And um, yeah, and then he went on to write stuff such as Chalk and also um, uh, Coupling, which is kind of like the British Friends, but has... It's much more complex in kind its um, better, narrative. Better, in my opinion. Better than Friends. They of. had some lots of like interesting conceits. I remember one episode that had the same conversation three times in different languages. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of very much playing with the formats of sitcoms in um, Stephen Moffat. And also, Jeffrey was an epic character. Jeffrey, yes. Yes, he was. He, um, there was a character in it who was a Doctor Who fan, I believe, who replaced... What one of them left, I think, mm. and he was replaced by a guy playing. He was Doctor consciously Who. uncoupled. Yep. <laughs> um, Stephen Moffat also wrote the. Um, while Doctor Who was off the air, he wrote the. Um, uh, was it a comic relief Doctor Who special, um, which featured uh, Rowan Atkinson, Hugh Grant, um, 
uh, Jim Broadbent, Richard E. Grant, and um, Joanna Lumley is the doctor. And um, so, and during the um, eras of the ninth and tenth doctor, he wrote probably everyone's favorite episodes. So he wrote Blink, he wrote Girl in the Fireplace, he wrote um, The Empty Child, and he also wrote The um, Silence in the Library, all four are seen as kind of classics of that, of the Russell Davis era. So it's kind of obvious that Doctor Who would be handed over to him. Uh, but things are going to get complex now because uh, Stephen Moffat, he likes to um, play little games. He likes to, you know, he's kind of like, if loss made sense, he would be the guy who can make it make sense. He's, there's a lot of things going on in his stories. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of arcs that go through seasons and don't seem to be explained. And you always... Uh, it was said that a lot of adult viewers were kind of losing kind of what was going on, whereas kids were kind of fine with kind of what was happening. Um, but um, I have a quick question. So yeah. did um, Stephen Moffat, did his introduction as the showrunner coincide with the arrival of... Matt Smith, yeah. Matt Smith. His first episode is 11th hour and Matt Smith's first episode is 11th hour. Matt Smith wasn't... Matt Smith was the youngest person to play the Doctor... Um, he he'd only ever been seen before. And there was a a BBC political drama called Party Animals, and that was his only real credit since then. But apparently during the audition, he was so good that they couldn't give it to anyone else. They said he had to do it, and um, so he got the youngest person to play the Doctor. But he plays it in such a way that he plays it as an old man, kind of not being used to being a young body. So he's very kind of pernickety. He's not kind of young and cool. He thinks bow ties are great. How, how old was he out of interest? Um, you, Smith, um, I'm not sure. Off I think he was about 26, wasn't he? 26. When, when he oh, like sh- yeah. Okay, yeah, he was 37 when he... Well, he's 37 today, so... And the series was... I, don't, I can just It would have been 2010. Um, so... Yeah, 2010. So, yeah, just like nine years. So, yep. yeah, yeah, so he's the youngest. But he played him, he didn't play him as like a young, cool doctor. He played him as an old man stuck in a, in a young person's body. Um, his companion, he had two companions f- for his first couple of seasons. Um, Amy Pond, played by Karen Gillan, and uh, uh, Rory, um, well, I always forget Rory's second, Rory Williams, played by... Um, Arthur Darville. Arthur Darville, friend of old friend of Dominic's, I believe. He was in a short film I made called Bagel Boy. Well, your claim to fame. And um, my only claim to fame. (laughs) So, you know, Arthur, if you're listening, you know, give us a shout. Call me. Hit me up on Instagram. (laughs) So and the interesting about um, Amy and Rory is that they were a couple. It was the first couple to be to kind of travel in the TARDIS. Um there'd never been a relationship between Doctor Who companions before. Really? Yep. What that's those surprising. two school teachers. Yeah, um, but there was they were never in. A, I mean, we can all kind of look back and say, yeah, Ian and Barbara were probably going out and probably got yeah. married when he got back to Earth, but it, it was never spelled out. Oh, like was it never? Like, it was never. No, spelled no. What, about, no. what about Billy Piper's and Noel Clark's? Well, okay, yeah, okay, we'll give it them. But yeah. they only actually travelled in the TARDIS together for two stories. Okay, so it's not it's not quite the same as um as uh in fact the whole. First season, Matsu's first season is about um, Amy kind of the night before her wedding, kind of going off with the doctor and not coming back and yeah. um, trying to delay it. She actually tries to get off with the doctor at one point. So it's all these kind of pre wedding kind of nerves coming. Yeah, I remember. But we that. don't find out until kind of the vampires of Venice, which yeah. I think is pre wedding nerves. 
the sixth. Um, yeah, sixth episode there. In when Rory joins. Um, and Rory's great. Rory is kind of, he's the first companion who kind of isn't um, in awe of the Doctor. He kind of sees him as a bit dumb. He sees the whole thing as time traveling is a little bit, mm. you know, he, and he's kind of jealous of Amy kind of with this connection with the Doctor. Yeah, I so would he be. can kind of be like, he's kind of the third wheel of the TARDIS crew. And um, he, he kind of knows this. And wait, saying that, did he not come across? I, when I used to watch it, I thought he come across pretty stupid himself. Not stupid. I mean, he's just more realistic. About, I mean, normally if you're traveling in the ties of Doctor, you're like, yeah, and have fun and kind of go out and kind of beat the baddies. Whereas Rory had a much more kind of, I mean, first of all, he was wanting to look out for Amy. Second of all, you know, he kind of, He'd rather Amy wasn't doing this, but if he has to, he has to come along as well. But Rory really does prove himself. Um, the whole, the, the arc of the um, first episode of the story arc is about everyone, Daleks, Cyberman, Sontarans, like every alien you can possibly imagine, teaming up to imprison the Doctor in a tomb in Stonehenge. And um, um, it's quite uh, ambitious. It's, I mean, the, the first season, season six of New Doctor, no, season five of New Doctor Who, it's one of the best. It's got some of the best episodes in it. Um, it's season 10, I'm sorry, um, the episode 10, which is Vincent and the Doctor, where the Doctor and Amy meet um, uh, Vincent van Gogh, is it, written by Richard Curtis, but it's one of the more kind of honest um, representations of depression and mental illness seen in kind of, you know, family dramas on a Saturday night. Um, uh, there's a, a brilliant part in it where the Doctor and Amy take uh, Van Gogh into the future to uh, to uh, um, to see Bill Nighy in a, a Van Gogh museum and explaining how he's one of the greatest artists of all time. And of course, Van Gogh in his own lifetime, he wasn't known at all. He was, you know, he did hard, didn't sell any paintings, I think, in, in his well, lifetime. He sold one painting, one painting in his lifetime. lifetime. Wow. So they take him forward to to um, this like museum, Van Gogh Museum in the future, and you see Van Gogh, they're looking around, can't believe like all this happened because of him. And Did stuff. they change history then? Because... No, because that's the thing, they go back to the point, and Amy thinks that they've cured um, Van Gogh of his depression, that he'll yeah. be fine now, but he'll, um, you know, he'll go on and create lots more works, Not and they'll go back to the museum and he'll yeah. be far more patron. Yeah. But no, nah, no, nah, he still kills himself the same way. Because I the, mean, that's a really. If I can go a little bit depression. off topic, the frustrating thing about Richard Curtis is sometimes he's capable of greatness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just a fantastic story. Um, there's another story in that season called Amy's Choice, where um, starring Toby Jones, which is written by Simon Nye, who was the guy behind Men Behaving Badly. But uh, it's a great story where uh, the three Tardis travellers don't know whether they're the situation they're in is real or is a dream and Amy has to choose between which one is a real, which is a dream. A fantastic episode. And, uh, and then it all builds up to the end where, um, uh, the doctor, it seems that he's going to be imprisoned in a cell in, in beneath Stonehenge forever. But, um, he gets Amy to, uh, um, Amy to replace him in the tomb mm. and Rory stands guard for 2000 years. Um, dressed as a Roman centurion as he's been turned into an Auton. This is all getting a bit, obviously it gets complicated that, here. Does but, that make him immortal? Is that what? Well, yeah, he, um, he is immortal for that time because he's actually a robot. He's been turned into a robot. Oh, okay. And he, stay, and he stays with this, um, the, um, it's called the Pandorica, 
the cell yeah. that the doctor um, should be imprisoning, but Amy actually is. And he stands guard of the Panorica for, for 2,000 years while waiting for the doctor to kind of figure out how to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, it was a very successful first season. I mean, Matt Smith is a great doctor. He's a great actor. I mean, we've all seen him in other things now because, I mean, he's quite a, quite a well-known actor now. He played Prince Philip in the original season of The Crown. Has he left The Crown now? Let me yeah, yeah. The new one is T- Tobias um, Menzies, I think, from I Game think of so, Thrones. Yeah. yeah. He's the new Prince Philip in that. Um, uh, second season, uh, Matt Smith's second season was, um, if he could go back. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is all right. <laughs> Um, uh, okay, actually, uh, what do you say to the rumours that um, Matt Smith's parents are actually escaped um, statues from Easter Island? Ah, uh, that's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I heard. <laughs> you don't have to answer that now. <laughs> Anyone confused by um, by MKG's comment is uh, um, uh, Matt, Matt Smith has quite a high forehead. And quite uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I say pronounced, dis- pronounced features that yeah, kind of, that could features. be could be mistaken for an Easter Island um, statue. But amazing, they never worked that into an episode. Yeah, he, exactly. He's a lot smaller. Um, <laughs> this, they, now, okay, here's another. Here, there's a lot of complications in um, in the Stephen Moffat era, and one of the big ones is a character called River Song. River Song first turns up in a tenth Doctor story written by Stephen Moffat called Science of the Library. And her conceit is that she meets the doctor, the first time she meets the doctor is the last time the doctor meets her. And the first time the doctor meets her is the last time that she meets him. So they always meet each other going the wrong way in time. (laughs) That's confusing as fuck. Because doesn't River Songs continue throughout several... Like she, she, wasn't she with um, the next Doctor at least? Well, yeah. I mean, she's really an 11th Doctor character, but she was brought in in one of David Tennant's last episodes because oh. Stephen Moffat was taking her over. Yeah. So he planted her in one of in his episode there to yeah. kind of bring her on. So wait, does River Song marry the Doctor? The mar- yes, she does. But this is part of a... In the very first episode of his second season, it seems like... Um, a uh, mysterious astronaut has shot and killed the Doctor. Mm. Um, the whole season is about explaining how this happens and how to get out of it. But it's, it, it, it's all um, based around River Song, um, who she is, and um, her story. She's an archaeologist. Um, I'm, I'm a bit kind of concerned about spoilers here, um, but I suppose this is a review of the of the kind of of the dilemma of Doctor, and so we can't really get away with not spoilers. If you don't want to find out who River Song is then I stop listening now. But it turns out she's actually the, she's actually a Time Lord because she is Amy and Rory's daughter who was um, conceived in the TARDIS. And because she was conceived in the TARDIS, she got Time Lord abilities and the ability to regenerate. And thus, so her whole life has been, um, uh, as soon as she was born, she was kind of taken away by evil villainous people. And her whole life has been away. So this is um, how she finally gets to meet her parents, who she's actually much older than, who are Amy and Rory. Um, there's a lot of stuff like this in Stephen Moffat years. Why? Why did he do this? Is this? Is, <laughs> is he just, just proving he's smarter than everyone else? No, I mean he likes he likes stories that are complicated and where you have to think about it a bit. And you know he likes kind of odd little kind of 
um, but this is Doctor Who. This is like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it television. should be. So it should be kind of. It's it's good because with Doctor Who, each new showrunner should be able to put his own imprint of Doctor Who on the format because it's a very loose format. It's about one guy and or woman and a couple of other people and traveling through time and space in a box. So once you've just got that, you know, it's just whatever your interpretation of that is and what stories you want to take do with that as your central premise. But with the whole River Songs. Um angle was that like an albatross uh, around the neck of future showrunners do you think no i don't think so because i mean it was all tied up by the time stephen moffat left which was at the end of the peter capaldi years the 12th doctor uh, i think virtually all the storylines have been uh tied up there are some left over i think there's another <laughs> storyline in in the 11th doctor's era about the tardis explodes at some point yeah and um, this explosion of the TARDIS causes many uh, repercussions in time and space. Um, I always, my friend would be better doing this, the DST Doctors um, episodes because he was he really read about it and he could out the storylines and he could actually explain this much better than I can. Who? Um, well, you know, Stephen, the criticism <laughs> of the um, the Eleventh Doctor era was the storylines became too complex and involved. Yeah, so, was, what's yeah, your take yeah. on that? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're watching them and you're not concentrating, because I mean, it depends how you view Doctor Who. Doctor Who is a family drama. It's basically aimed at kids. Kids apparently had no problem following the storylines. It was the adults that were watching with them that were complaining about it being too complicated. Um, but I, I, I would like to see the research on that because what kids today actually like ask about whether they followed the intricate details of a... Well, it's just people asking the kids and the kids are saying, no, I, I get it totally. I don't see why... Oh, well, did they, were they able to go into detail and have an intellectual debate about the um, the rights and wrongs of um, showing um, Vincent van Gogh his future and then he was still going back and killing himself? Or were they just saying, yeah, I, 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 just, I just like this story? Well, that wasn't an uncomplicated story. That was kind of... But some of the stories that are coming are quite complicated. Um, but, the, I mean, there are... Let's look... We've got here... Uh, the story, The Doctor's Wife, which is written by Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, of course, famous for um, uh, novels like um, uh, Neverwhere and um, uh, American Gods and also the acclaimed comic series The Sandman. He, he was a, a Doctor Who fan's kid and he was offered to write an episode. And his episode, he t the title The Doctor's Wife, is an episode where the TARDIS um, gets, uh, becomes... A, um, it's turned into human form through the actress. Um, oh, God. Um, I'll, just, I'll just bring it up. Hold yes, on. Suzanne, Suanna Jones yeah. playing the TARDIS. So it's a fantastic episode where you finally have the Doctor and the TARDIS being able to have a conversation and talk about the last kind of 50 years about what they've been up to. And this is the first time they've been able to actually talk to each other. So how, how did he explain being inside of her for that long? <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she says that um, uh, it's kind of like it's always been uh, sort of implied in Doctor Who, but never stated that the TARDIS takes the Doctor where he needs to be rather than the Doctor just journeying kind of. And in this episode, it's made clear that she's kind of the one kind of in control. Mm. She's the one who takes the doctor where he needs to be. And, but, and it's, it's a great episode. It's, it's, it's lovely to see the doctor and the TARDIS um, actually getting, some, getting a good conversation together. No. Um, after we go back here, yeah. So if we move on to the Matt Smith's final season, which is uh, season seven, um, 
in this, uh, we have a new companion who is introduced. She's actually introduced in Asylum of the Daleks, which is the first episode of that season. Um, she becomes an actual companion in the bowels of St. John. But um, Clara is... Cla- oh, God, Clara. <laughs> she's called the impossible girl because she keeps turning up in places she's not meant to be. And um, she doesn't seem to remember her past. The big thing that happened during the uh, 11th Doctor's era is, of course, the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who happened, which was quite a big thing when it happened. Uh, it was the first time I think Doctor Who episodes have been shown in the cinema. They showed it in, in a limited release in cinemas around the country and in other countries. Um, it brought back... Uh, David Tennant came back to reprise his role as the 10th Doctor, of course. There were a lot of rumours before about how many Doctors they could get in. Normally, with anniversary shows, you try and get every Doctor that's still alive in. But, of course, Doctor Who's a bit more serious now and a bit more kind of... You could probably have done it when it in its 80s incarnation. But a lot, especially Colin Baker, it got a bit big. And crowning him into his um, costume might be a bit... Um, against uh it, it wouldn't work really so it's against the timeline because yeah, we've yeah. seen him regenerate yeah, so he exactly. can't be older than that so the, the, i mean he did quite a clever thing where peter davison he wrote and directed a little thing called the six-ish doctors which is about all the doctors who weren't in the 50th anniversary trying desperately to get into it mm. and it features cameos from matt smith and david Tennant and uh stephen moffat and uh, russell t davis so they kind of done that so that the fifth, sixth, and seventh doctors, Sylvester McCoy, right. Davison, and At the and risk of Baker. showing my ignorance, <laughs> is the fiftieth anniversary the one that introduces the War Doctor? Yes. So they, Christopher Eccleston, declined to come back to play the ninth Doctor, and so they decided to um, bring back to create a new incarnation of the Doctor that happened between Paul McGann and um, Christopher Eccleston, and he's been called the War Doctor because that's we're going to have to re-number everyone and he was the doctor that fought the time war which happened between the end of the original series and the beginning of the new series so in those years then john hurt is the war doctor um they actually made a special short for the 50th anniversary which showed paul mcgann's eighth doctor regenerating into john hurt's um war doctor which people have literally been waiting 20 years, years for. for yeah finally the regeneration yeah. and they also showed at the end of the 50th anniversary special they showed the regeneration from john hurt into christopher eccleston briefly um but and you can now watch a youtube video of all the regenerations thanks yeah, to yeah. that yeah yeah you can um but probably the biggest surprise about the 50th um anniversary story which is called the day of the doctor was tom baker tom baker turns up at the end playing a f- version of the doctor from way way into the future when he's retired and he's maybe revisiting some of his old bodies that he enjoyed um inhabiting so tom baker turns up at the end of um uh, day of the doctor Says to, he's um, the cur- curator yeah he's called the curator in that but yeah. he's he's kind of mysterious but he is a doctor but his um it's, it's not completely explained but i think he says something like uh, yeah um i like revisiting old bodies of mine um <laughs> wow <laughs> That sounds dark. Eventually, <laughs> Matt Smith's era comes to the end in the time of the Doctor. In the time of the Doctor, he's, he has to protect this little planet from, a, from uh, an invasion. It's kind of a small-scale story, but because of, but because of the story, because of... It's like only in Doctor Who could you say protecting a planet is a small-scale story. Yeah, so it's quite a small-scale story, but it turns out he has to spend something like 14,000 years there. 14,000 years. years. 
Oh, to, no, one, no, not four. One thousand four hundred years, I think he spends. Oh, that's all right, then. He spends on that planet, defending his little planet, and by the end of it, Matt Smith is all old, and he's um, you know, he's got the proper old kind of old prosthetics on. And the problem is, the doctor can't die now. The doctor can't regenerate anymore because Matt Smith, although he's eleventh Doctor, is the thirteenth incarnation of the Doctor, because we also we have the War Doctor, who's an incarnation, mm. and we also have David Tennant. When David Tennant was the Doctor. He lost his arm right after his regeneration, and this arm has grown into a, another version of the Tenth Doctor, who's human. So that counts as another incarnation. And because the Doctor can only um, have regenerate twelve times, this meant Matt Smith was the last of the Doctors. This would be it. And so right at the end, so he's been on this planet now fourteen hundred years, kind of fighting off death, you know, waiting for the end. And um, finally, the time laws appear in a little crack. There's, there's a crack in time that there is a constant throughout the Matt Smith era and it finally turns out that it's the Time Lords behind it and the Time Lords um, Clara makes a plea to the Time Lords saying please 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 can you give him a new regeneration cycle and Time Lords do and so the, the Doctor it isn't a normal regeneration he just sort of clicks like that and suddenly Matt Smith is Peter Capaldi and a whole new regeneration cycle starts again mm. with Peter Capaldi being this kind of new first Doctor um, so Matt Smith's era came to an end. He played the Doctor for three years. He was great. He was really great. Um, uh, didn't get to the popularity of maybe David Tennant, but I think David Tennant's era, kind of, just that everything was right then with like Billy Piper and the kind of showrunner Russell T. Davis. It was kind of like all the ingredients were there for, and Russell T. Davis is much more kind of, he writes more for kind of general public, whereas Stephen Moffat is much more kind of, it just did in kind of using little science fiction devices so maybe more complicated for people like I've been saying for this thing but yeah so that was the 11th Doctor era um, where'd you rate him? Well, Matt Smith yeah oh he's just one the best yeah 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 definitely yeah. Yeah. better or worse than David Tennant? I mean they're kind of different um, uh, obviously um, he has a vulnerability that the 10th Doctor hasn't the 10th Doctor became quite a cocky kind of yeah. incarnation whereas Matt Smith always kind of keeps his you know his, his um, uncomfortableness his kind of social anxiety he's a little bit kind of yeah I prefer Matt Smith to David Tennant probably oh, oh okay. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, that's, a, that's a hot take yep and um, yeah so there we go um, that was my brief uh, 25 minute summation of the career of the era of the 11th Doctor well, well um, done for thank cutting you. through the forest there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the 12th Doctor is even worse when it comes to complicated storylines. So I, I hope I have a little break <laughs> before that. Have a, have a little lie down Have first. a little lie down. And think yeah. of England. <laughs> yeah, and so thank you, Mr Moffat. Thanks for that. And um, yeah, so thanks to uh, Dominic. Well, thank, thank you. for joining me. Thank you for MKH. Oh, gracias. And uh, thank you to Gia. That's for, the Spanish um, chair. Yeah. Looking at um, the Mac. And... <laughs> I'm joking again. Um, yeah, so thanks everyone and um, see you next time for 12th Doctor. And I am not looking forward to that. Goodbye. You should be. <laughs>